San Francisco, the S-Y-S-K treat. <laughs> yes, San Francisco, Oakland, the entire Bay Area, and dare I say, all of Silicon Valley. Yeah. We love you, and we're coming back to Sketchfest this year in January. Yeah, we're going to be there on Sunday, January 15th at 1 p.m., a very rare afternoon show. Yeah. Uh, and we will be ready to go. So you guys better be drunk from the night before or getting drunk for that <laughs> evening. Yeah. However, it crosses over. <laughs> I think it'll be proof positive that uh, we endorse afternoon drinking. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, a couple of drinks maybe. Sure. Maybe Bloody Mary. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, we're promoting our show. Oh, that's right. So we're doing that show on January 15th. Uh, you can go to the SF Sketch Fest website to get tickets. And it's awesome. It's a great, great comedy festival. Lots of awesome shows that weekend. Yep. And for the following weeks. Yeah. So I, I encourage you like to buy lots of tickets. Just buy ours first. Yeah. And hurry, hurry, because they're selling out fast. No joke. That's not a ploy. That's not a, a marketing ploy. No. They're really selling fast. We get emails every time. Guys, you told me to hurry. I didn't hurry. I'm shut out. And since this uh, promo's petered out, it ends right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. Just two of us again. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Two dudes, four nipples. <laughs> right. Totally useless nipples, though. Uh, yeah, we did a show, Why Do Men Have Nipples, in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I think we should change the name of the show to Two Dudes, Four Nipples. <laughs> okay. Hey, might be on to something. Yeah. Uh, and that factored in not much to this podcast, but it just... It's worth mentioning. Yeah, exactly. And you have been wanting to tackle breastfeeding yes. as a topic right. for a long time. Yeah, and as I got into it, I was like, we can't just do uh, how breastfeeding works. It's just too unwieldy. It's got to be two-parter. Yeah. And I realized that it would be folly to also <clears throat> name it how breastfeeding works. So we're calling it how feeding babies works, part one and part two. Yeah. We may French it up, though, and call the second one part two. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, and this one is... Um, you you have been reticent to do this one because it is fraught with anytime you're dealing with babies and moms, mm-hmm. it is fraught with differing opinions, differing uh not just among <clears throat> people listening and how they feel about everything, but from the medical community, differing uh different yeah. um, recommendations. <clears throat> right. So like there isn't really one set way ever. And people think like their way is the way, and yeah. your way is not the way. There's a straight up culture war going on over it. Yeah, that's an easy way to say it. So I see why you waded into this gently and with some trepidation. But I feel like you know, once once we got in there, you know, we can we we can talk about anything. Agreed. But I think I said some of that as a way of just saying, hey, if we get some stuff wrong, if you if you disagree with some of this stuff, yeah, uh, we're just throwing it out there. Yeah, and we're also we're going to try our best not to mansplain, because this very easily could end up being the very definition of mansplaining. What two men doing a two-part show on breast milk? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we're, we try not to do that. So uh, if we do, you can hold us accountable. But yeah, we're, we're just trying to deliver really information to. that we found. Yeah, uh, I'm, none of this. I have no opinion on any of this actually. Great. You ready? Yep. Okay. So to start. Actually, one of the things that inspired this was a really great, um, a really great article by a woman named Angela. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to say her last name. Garbus, maybe. I'm gonna say Garbus. It was in the Stranger, and um, she she was breastfeeding at the time and was just fascinated by it. So she wrote this really great article in the Stranger about breastfeeding, and. Um, one of the things she points out is that when women breastfeed, they lit- she they quote literally dissolve parts of ourselves, starting with the gluteal femoral fat, aka our butts, and turn it into liquid to feed our babies. And your mind was blown. Yeah, there's just a lot of um, a lot of really amazing stuff when you start to look into breastfeeding, breast milk. Yeah, what what the body's doing? It's 
pretty mind-blowing, actually. Every single aspect of human reproduction to me mm-hmm. is mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. And not just human, just period reproduction. Right. Making a little thing inside of a body. PPs and wee-wees. PPs and wee-wees coming together <laughs> right. to make another living thing right. is just one of the most amazing, miraculous things. It is pretty neat. Just unbelievable. So with breast milk, right? Um, there's different stages of, of, of breast milk production. There's actually, I think as far as I know, three stages of what's called lactogenesis, right? Yeah. Stage one, um, is the, uh, basically the pre-milk stage that, that happens before birth. Stage two is what's called colostrum. Yeah, which is a kind of milk. Yeah. But and then, not what you think of as breast milk. No, it's, it's basically sp- and I, I'm going to accidentally use the word designed a lot, but it's basically specifically designed to feed a, th- a baby for the first few days after its birth. Yes. And then there's uh, the third stage, which is called uh, milk maintenance. But the but the milk is made, this is pretty nuts. So you've got these little tiny cell clusters called alveoli, right? And that's where actual milk production occurs. And in these alveoli, they basically... They have something called lactocytes, and the lactocytes go into the bloodstream and gather nutrients it needs to form the milk, right? And depending on what is needed at any given point in time, it will retrieve those nutrients and antibodies and all that stuff and put them together and then create the milk. That's pretty awesome. So the the milk is literally made from the, the woman's body. That's right. Okay. It's not delivered. <laughs> By a guy in a white hat. Right, but there's no like milk store or anything like that. At any given point in time, the, the, the actual components of a woman's breast milk is different from maybe what it would be the next day or later that night. Yeah. Or a week before. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. cool. It's its own recipe <clears throat> on a day to day basis. Right. Um, which we'll talk more about that cool stuff later too. Uh, so it is uh, low in fat, but really high in proteins and carbohydrates. Well, the col- the colostrum is. Yeah, the, that first yellowish, um, thick, as you call it, thick golden liquid, <laughs> which um, that's a good way to describe it. If you've ever seen it, like you know, you can just type it in and images, and it'll it'll have pictures of it next to um, breast milk, mm-hmm. and you can. It's a pretty stark difference in what okay. it looks like. But the whole point is that is it's super easy to digest for a newborn baby and gives that baby exactly what they need to uh, get going in life, uh, <laughs> including, you know, that it gives them a head start. Right. <laughs> uh, including having a laxative effect to get rid of that first poop, which is called the meconium, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a waiting on that first poop is a very big deal. Uh, because then, you know, things are moving as it should and then you're, you know, then it's nothing but poop. Um, and a breastfed baby has a little bit different poop than a formula fed baby. Um, it's a little more yellowish than brown and supposedly doesn't smell quite as bad. Um, that's what they say. I've seen that it actually smells a bit like buttermilk. I don't know. This isn't altogether (laughs) unpleasant. And, um, because the breast milk is well absorbed, the babies who are breastfed are very rarely constipated too. Yes. So you got that's the colostrum, and after several days, the colostrum um, goes away and is replaced instead by what's called mature breast milk. The good stuff. The yeah, the stuff you think of when you think of breast milk. Yes. Right? So um, it's about three to five percent fat, and is chock full of v- minerals and vitamins. Um, Sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, uh, vitamins A, C, and E, long-chain fatty acids uh, that are both omega-3s and omega-6s. Um, and then you also have lactose. It's the principal carbohydrate, right? Yeah. And um, lactose is important because it's just a huge, wonderful energy source. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has the proteins in it uh, are a specific kind of protein. They're whey proteins, right? So in in cow's milk or in um, livestock milk, <clears throat> the protein's usually casein, which isn't as easy to digest. In breast milk, the protein is whey, which is yeah. extremely easy to digest for human babies. And then even more interesting, Chuck, there's something called oligosaccharides. Yeah, this is amazing. These are sugars 
uh, like a uh, hundred and fifty or more, and they are only in human milk. Yeah, it's pretty astounding. Right. So you're thinking, well, that's neat. They're they're nutrients that are only found in human milk, which is for human babies makes sense. The weirder thing, though, is that these oligosaccharides can't be digested by the baby. They're not actually for the baby. They're actually nutrients for the gut flora in the baby's guts, in the baby's stomach, to help it digest food even better. Yeah. So it's actually food for the microbiome of the baby in the breast milk. It's amazing. Man, I just keep wanting to drop this mic. <laughs> I think you're saying oligosaccharides. What was it? What is it? Oligo. Oh, yeah. That's all right. I misplaced the G. That's okay. That happens. Um, so I know one of the big things, too, that, that um, has been amazed, uh, amazing you for a while, uh-huh. because you've dropped this fact a lot lately, <laughs> is that uh, the, um, the, the, the human body, uh, we know how the human body fights off immunity, but something really unique happens when a mother is breastfeeding a baby mm. is it's a bit of a two-way street. There's a vacuum created um, when the baby is breastfeeding on the nipple. Right. And if a baby needs uh, some sort of a, uh, immune immunity response. A boost. Then the baby's saliva will actually enter back into the woman mm-hmm. through the nipple. Right. And mommy, all of a sudden, her her body says, oh, you're telling me that you need this to fight off some sort of sickness, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So now my body will produce that and then render it back to you. In the breast milk. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's pretty the, pretty amazing. There's like receptors in the mammary gland that analyze the saliva for pathogens and then produce antibodies as a result. That's crazy awesome. Yeah. So the breast milk is chock full of nutrients. It's chock full of um, proteins and fats and all this great stuff, as well as antibodies. Yeah. So the the baby being breastfed has um, this uh, this established um, microbiome, thanks in large part to what the mom's breast milk is giving it. Yeah, and like you said, like her, d- despite all the things in the breast milk. A woman's body can also say, oh, well, you need this too? Mm-hmm. Let me whip some of that up right, exactly. and deliver that to you as well. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and even cooler, well, I don't know if that's even cooler. I, I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> but there's, uh, when, when, um, a woman nurses, there's basically two stages of the actual nursing. The first stuff to come out is called foremilk. It's kind of thinnish and bluish and it's mostly water. And it's meant to, like, for the baby's thirst. Yeah, dehyd- for hydration. Right. Yeah. Because a baby can subsist for the first four to six months of its life solely on breast milk. doesn't yeah. even need water. Yeah. It's getting it from that foremilk. And then the stuff that comes out after the foremilk um, is called hind milk. And that's the creamier stuff that's higher in fat. And that's what fills the baby up. Yeah. And so if, if all this talk of immunity uh, building and, and, uh, and stuff like that makes you think that a breastfed baby might uh, potentially be um, less susceptible to illness than a formula-fed baby. Some studies show that that is possible. Um, every situation is different, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you can have breastfed babies that get sick a lot. You can have formula-fed babies that never get sick. Right. Uh, there is no like 100% across-the-board thing. But the World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics both recommend exclusive breastfeeding for uh, at least six months, because they do think it can lead to fewer illnesses, fewer hospitalizations, uh, or at least milder illnesses. Right. And it's not just those two. The the um, government of the U.K., Australia, Canada, Ireland, India, Japan, all of them recommend that women breastfeed exclusively for six months. Yeah. Right? Um, but as uh, Angela Garbus pointed out, though, this those health outcomes, those positive health outcomes... Yeah. They're relative, sure. right? So if your baby is born in the West in a developed nation um, with state-of-the-art technology and is born a relatively healthy baby, the the benefits from breastfeeding are going to be much less than if you compare that baby to a baby that's born in a developing nation where the water... Um, the water available is um, impure. Yeah, a lot of de- disease, perhaps. Uh huh. Um, and uh, and and the country is generally poverty stricken. That baby will benefit tremendously more from breastfeeding. Yeah. 
than would the kid born in the the modern uh, developed richer country yeah absolutely um and also we'll see we're going to get into it for sure we we can't avoid it but there's there's a lot of conflicting studies oh yeah on breastfeeding and health outcomes and the benefits of it but we'll we'll wade into that later yes with our kevlar vest (laughs) (laughs) uh so let's talk a little bit more about some of the um the benefits of breastfeeding Mm -hmm. um one of them is if you just want to look strictly at numbers um if a woman's body produces something for free uh-huh. uh, that you would normally have to purchase in a store in the form of formula, mm-hmm. then it's just going to be flat out cheaper. Um, this $400 number in here is way low. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it says in the U.S. families can save an average of $400 a year, uh-huh. uh, even the, with the cost of a breast pump. Um, uh, yeah, that's got to be low because uh, you spend, I think, the average cost of formula for a year is closer to sixteen to eighteen hundred bucks. Wow. Um and then subtract of course for the breast pump and stuff. But let's just say you'll save some money. Right. You'll also save having to get up and go to the kitchen to make some formula <clears throat> or um having to uh wash out bottles, sterilize bottles, stuff like that. Yeah, although uh, uh, I think a most women probably do uh, pump and dump in bottles. Yeah, these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, saving money, maybe saving a little inconvenience. Mm-hmm. That's one positive. Yeah, the funny thing is, is this little section, this that comes from the How Stuff Works article on breastfeeding. It makes it sound like breastfeeding is just so easy and convenient. Right. You know, like there's nothing to it. Stop complaining. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we should talk a little bit about these two um, hormones that are super, super important uh, to breastfeeding and period in life. Yeah, because these are definite benefits of breastfeeding. It's it's just not, you can't argue with it. Yeah, we're talking about oxytocin and prolactin. And um, prolactin, uh, prolactin <clears throat> tells the milk, hey, make more milk. Uh, it tells the glands that it basically makes that production happen. Right. The oxytocin is what gets the breast milk to your baby. Right. Milk let down is what it's called. Yeah, which is kind of a let down sounds like something bad. <laughs> it does. So I don't know why they called it that. But yes, let down is good in this case. Right. Uh, but as long as you're feeding, uh, breastfeeding or you're pumping, then your body's going to continue to release that prolactin and it's just sort of a feedback loop. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and there's uh, there's this neat kind of, um, it's all hormonal, right? Prolactin, oxytocin, they're, they're hormones. But there's this neat like hormonal balance where when your breast gets full, milk production slows down. And then when your breast empties, milk production speeds back up. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is. So oxytocin specifically is really amazing. Uh, that is a chemical messenger and it releases, um, released in the brain. And a lot of it, I mean, it's not just something that happens with women. Oxytocin, we all have it. Yeah, it's a social promote, promoting hormone. Yeah. Exactly. And skin on skin contact is where things, is where things get really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It it actually triggers the release of oxytocin, right? Yeah. And there's, if there's one thing that a a new mother's brain is primed to, um, to, uh, experience, it's floods of oxytocin. Yes. And they're, they actually believe that this is the, the basis for the the incredible mother infant bond that occurs yeah it's this huge surge of oxytocin that takes place during labor mm-hmm. after birth and is is sustained through skin to skin contact including breastfeeding yes uh, and this happens this is another pretty amazing fact uh, in those early stages of that that flood of oxytocin mm-hmm. Nerve junctions in parts of the mother's brain actually reorganize, and it becomes like uh, maternal instinct becomes hardwired at that point. Right, exactly. Like the oxytocin receptors start to um, to spread all over the place in vast numbers, right? And so when the when the um, these maternal behaviors, I guess you'd call it, if you want to talk about a woman like you're a biologist, right? Um, the the oxytocin is released, and so the the pattern is reinforced. And it's like you said, like the brain is structurally reorganizing t- into motherhood. 
Yes. It's pretty astounding. Yeah, and they, they recommend, <laughs> like. I've said that after <laughs> everything we've said. Um, let's say you don't breastfeed. Let's say you, uh, aren't able to breastfeed. Let's say you have adopted your child. Let's, there's all sorts of scenarios, uh, maybe where you don't breastfeed. They right. still recommend that skin on skin contact <clears throat> as soon as possible mm-hmm. and as much as possible. Um, and not just for mom. Um, dads, right. get in on that action. Uh, there's nothing better than than laying chest to chest with a newborn baby. Right. And that skin-on-skin contact uh, works the same way with men. It's just not quite as a robust release of oxytocin. Right. But the, there have been plenty of studies that have shown that children who um, don't have that skin-to-skin contact don't develop... Um, as securely, and their brains don't necessarily develop as robustly, or at least socially, yeah. um, as kids who do have the skin-to-skin contact. A lot of people take that to mean that breastfeeding is what's responsible for that. That's not the case. Right. Breastfeeding allows for that skin-to-skin contact. So it does allow for that oxytocin release in the child to develop more securely. Yeah. But- you, like you were saying, you can also get the same thing from holding the baby skin to skin without even breastfeeding. Yeah, and the, and the when this insecurity and underdevelopment occurs, it appears to be from neglect, right? Uh, maternal and paternal neglect, rather than um, the fact that the breastfeeding is so great at it. The breastfeeding forces that essentially, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's even more on oxytocin, right? The um, the Oxytocin prevents – I saw a study that showed that mothers who breastfeed had about half the levels of stress hormone release as um, mothers who didn't breastfeed. Yeah. Um, it allows for imprinting, odor imprinting. Yeah, for, <clears throat> for baby and mom. Right. So like, I recognize your smell. Right. The baby um, became accustomed to the smell of its amniotic fluid in the womb thanks to oxytocin. Well, the mother's uh, breast smells similar to the um, smell of the amniotic fluid. So the baby is able to um, find the mother's nipple after being born just from that smell, right? Yeah. All of this is fostered from oxytocin, and it's it's um, hardwired through oxytocin as well. But our understanding of oxytocin and how it does it is we basically – you can replace oxytocin with saturnal magic. Yeah. Right. There's like we just don't understand how it's doing all this. We just know that it does, thanks to rodent studies. Yeah, <laughs> that sounded funny, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it also reduces the uh, your baby's stress hormone uh, responses. Mm-hmm. So they've done studies where they found that in, um, like, let's say in uh, on the continent of Africa, where mothers tend to carry their babies a lot more mm-hmm. than like here in the United States, maybe. That their that babies tend to cry less and are able to soothe, uh, self soothe more, yeah. and are just more soothable. Period. Wow. Uh, because they're just simply um, held more. Yeah. Well, there's also supposedly studies of, I think, children in Eastern Europe who were raised from infancy in orphanages that were had had tremendous like social maladaptations. And they traced it back to not having been held as children. Yeah. Like that's huge. It's huge. That's the and apparently thing. skin skin on skin holding is is the the solution to that. Yeah, we Emily, I call it skiwi skin to win. <laughs> that came from our friend. We nice. didn't make it up. It's good stuff. Uh, except he was talking about like Friday night in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> You guys just adapted it, right? Yeah, exactly. I got you. Uh, one of the other amazing things, and then um, we'll probably take a break after this. But finishing up on oxytocin, I feel like we could almost do a whole podcast on oxytocin. Yeah, we really should. The wonder hormone. Magic. Um, but uh, with that high level, that big rush of oxytocin, uh, mom's priorities actually become altered. And the brain says, you know what? You don't have to uh, groom yourself and, and try and make yourself look a certain way to obtain a mate anymore. Mm-hmm. Now your priority is feeding this little BB. Uh-huh. And so it literally kind of switches that off in the brain. Right. So mom's like, great. I, I don't have to, like, now I groom my child. I don't have to worry about myself as exactly. much. Exactly. They're like, ugh, why is my hair so long? I'm going <laughs> to chop this off. Look at uh, this stupid necklace. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny when you think about it, but uh, it, it's almost like the body saying, take a break. 
from that stuff. Focus on BB for a little while. Right. And uh, maybe later on, once that oxytocin goes back down. Once you want another baby. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. Uh, and prolactin is similar in a lot of ways. Uh, we don't want to sell that short. <laughs> but um, it's in the made in the pituitary gland in the brain. Uh-huh. Uh, helps people sleep. Um, helps maintain reproductive organs, your immune system. And it's what prepares the mommy's breast to make breast milk. Right. It also, um, while the mom is nursing, it it is released, and it has this kind of relaxing effect. Yeah. So that mom's just happy to sit there and yeah. breastfeed, not have to like worry about getting up and doing something else. She's just content doing that. Yeah. It's right all there. it's all of this is designed to keep mommy kind of doped up and happy. Right. To and, just take care of baby. And, like, to love that baby. Yeah. Her brain is physically rewired by yeah. oxytocin to love that one baby right there. All right. Before we say amazing again, we'll take a break. <laughs> we'll come back right after this. So, um, Chuck, a lot of the talk of how magic this is and how natural it is and how hormonally driven all of this is has led a lot of people, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of women out there, who have experienced a lot of difficulty yeah. um, with breastfeeding right from the get-go and probably felt a lot of um, frustration, sure. shame. Rejection. Yeah, rejection, yeah. resentment, all sorts of, like, seemingly horrible uh, feelings yeah. uh, because breastfeeding didn't come naturally. That's right. Apparently, breastfeeding is as natural a thing as it is. It's actually not a, it, like no one walking around just naturally knows how to do it. It takes some practice. You have to learn how to do it first. Yeah, like sometimes the breast milk won't come <clears throat> in for a few days. Uh, like ideally, you want to be breastfeeding like Within a few hours, if you can. One hour. Within the first hour is what's recommended. Yeah. And if, and if that doesn't happen, at least get that skiwi going. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, sometimes it takes a few days for the breast milk to come in. Mm-hmm. There are conditions where breast milk may never come in. Right. Um, what I would advise is to stay off the mommy blogs. Uh, they can be helpful, but they can also really be tough on a new mother. Yeah, if you feel like you don't measure up to some yeah. breastfeeding ideal. There's a lot of judgment going on. Um, even if you just look up, like, breast milk didn't come in, you'll find some women that say, yeah, you know, sometimes that happens. And other women say, like, you just gave up. You got lazy with it, mm-hmm. and you didn't work at it. Right. Ap- apparently, the recommendations that I found, and I didn't find them judgmentally. They seem to come from... A non-judgmental place, places I saw them, right? (laughs) Was keep trying, basically. Um, I'm sure that there is some line, and every mother has her own line. Yeah, yeah. Once she gets to that line, she's done. Yeah. But apparently, if your if your milk isn't coming in, the best way to get it to come in is to keep nursing. Yes. To keep getting the breast milk flowing because it's eventually going to get the prolactin going yeah. and the prolactin's going to get the milk in and it's going to get the oxytocin going and the oxytocin's going to let the milk down. So just trying to breastfeed apparently is the best fix for breastfeeding problems. Right. Another thing to do is to reach out to uh, what's called a lactation consultant. Yeah, there are professionals out there who will... Um advise you. I mean, there are all kinds of services they can help you with. Everything from advising you or counseling you um, to literally um, showing you um, different methods, which we'll get to, uh, on how to literally physically breastfeed, like how to hold the baby, how to do all that stuff. It's just, it's sort of like a coach in a way. Yeah. Coaching counselor, I think is a good way to put it. Right. And they can really, really help. And don't don't hesitate to reach out. Like it doesn't mean that you're not a good mom, or know. or that things aren't coming naturally to you. So something is wrong with you. Yeah, this like one that that shame needs to get out of your head. I know it needs to get out of society. Yeah, but it's it's tough, you know. Right after you have a baby, there's you know, I mean, we should do one on postpartum depression too. Sure. It's um, 
sometimes you are at the whims of what your body and your hormones are doing. Right. You know? Yeah. And someone who might normally not feel those things feels those things. Right. Um, and then you add on top these social expectations yeah. from friends and neighbors and the nurses and the doctor and everybody will just shut up. Yeah. You know? Oh, you're not breastfeeding. Yeah, there's this that, that really line. <laughs> there's this great article that um, Hannah Rosen wrote. It was published in the Atlantic in 2009 called uh, "The Case Against Breastfeeding." Yeah, very controversial. And she um, just some of the stuff she she mentions, just some of the casual vibing out that yeah. a, a mom encounters when she says she doesn't breastfeed, and just there's a lot of um, a lot of social pressure to breastfeed. Yeah, if you if you've chosen to breastfeed and you're having trouble with it, what we're saying is. There's yeah, go find a lactation consultant. That's fine. Yeah. At the same time, make sure you're also in close contact with your doctor. Yeah. Or your child's doctor, because if your breast milk isn't coming, your baby still needs to eat something. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um. So your doctor will be able to tell you. Well, you might want to go buy some uh some human milk, or you might want to introduce your baby to formula while you're also nursing too. We're trying to nurse to get your breast milk coming so that your baby has enough nutrients and calories and everything. Yeah, or, or, or um, if it's not coming in as much, uh, like some women might not go to the doctor like because they're producing breast milk, but they're not producing enough on a daily basis. Right. So there are cases where uh, a baby is like hospitalized and they found that the baby is actually suffering some from uh, a form of dehydration. Hypernatremia. Yeah. Which is like a solute imbalance. Yeah. That, that a baby can die from. Yeah. And that, yeah, it comes from basically women being so, so thoroughly scared off from formula or shamed away from formula. Right. That their, their baby's not getting enough milk, but they, they, they are afraid to supplement it with anything like formula. Yeah. So the baby ends up in dire straits. Uh, hey, I want to take this chance to recommend another podcast. We were talking about judgy, um, people. Um, one bad mother. Hmm. Great, great mom. Actually, parenting podcast. It's called One Bad Mother, but plenty of dads listen as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is on the Max Fun Network and our friends, uh, my friend Teresa Thorne mm-hmm. and Biz Ellis, her co-host. Uh, it's just a great, fun, funny podcast. Nice. Very supportive, not judgmental. Uh, and I was a guest. Oh. And told a bit of my adoption story. A while ago, I can't remember when it was. It was last I think year. I remember that. Yeah, it was obviously it was, it was sometime after, you know, mid summer last year. Obviously. Do you remember the uh, name of the episode or the number? No. People are going to want to know. You can Google it. Okay. Google that junk. But anyway, one bad, one bad mother is great, and find if it's not them, just find some good resource that is trustworthy and that you feel good about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with all that said, here's how to breastfeed. It's easy. <laughs> All right, Josh just took his shirt off. It's a little weird. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like some of these, I was going through, like making the actual uh-huh. the like, hand motions and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of it's tough to visualize, but others. And Yumi walked through, and she's like, "Why are you cradling a loaf of <laughs> rye bread? <laughs> and why is it crying?" <laughs> you could make rye cry. It's <laughs> pretty powerful. So apparently, the latch is everything, right? The baby's got a latch on, and like you said, that vacuum has to be formed. And to form the vacuum, the baby's got to get a big old mouthful of boob, a nipple. <laughs> Specifically, yeah. So uh, when you're getting the baby to latch, you um, grab the breast uh, around the nipple, around the areoli, uh-huh. and you basically um, tickle the baby's mouth with your nipple. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I'm opening wide. And you take the her the bottom of her jaw and put it underneath your breast, uh-huh. apparently, or, or underneath your nipple. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> also, don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you you move her head forward uh-huh. onto um, so that the top of her mouth is now on the nipple, and taking in at least one to one and a half inches of areoli as well. Yeah, isn't the idea that Baby comes to mommy. Mommy doesn't like kneel down or lean over to baby. Right? Isn't that the the how it goes? That's what I saw. Okay. Uh, there are various types of holds. Uh, the suplex, the figure four. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, that's the professional. Full Nelson. That's wrestling. Sleeper hold. 
<clears throat> the cradle position, that is one of them. That's when you uh, you have the baby on your forearm, mm-hmm. uh, her head in the crook of your arm, and support the bottom with the other hand. Then pull little baby close to you, belly to belly, which is a great thing, mm-hmm. uh, with her ear, shoulder, and hip in a straight line. Yep. So that's the cradle. Uh, the football? Yeah, I call it the Heisman. The Heisman. <laughs> so you're you're laying on your back, right? Is that what I'm getting here? Who, you me? Get- Right. Well, the mom. Oh, okay. And then there's a pillow very close to your side with your baby on top. And I think you're both facing in opposite directions, right? Or you're facing one another, but you're pointing in opposite directions. Yeah. Okay. And um, you just lift the baby's your baby's head up to your breast from the side. And that's really good if you had a cesarean section because I'm guessing you don't want a baby anywhere near your belly. Uh, after that. Yeah, the football one I couldn't picture in my head as much. So that one was it's a little like less clear. Oh, okay. The baby's facing this way, I'm facing that way. Gotcha. And nothing's coming out. It's getting very disturbing in here. <laughs> it is. Uh, then you have the old side lie. Poor baby's just getting a lot of hair in her mouth. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the side lie, not the same thing as the side eye. That's much different. Um, this is also good if you've had a C-section or if you want to uh, rest if you're worn out um, while you nurse. So this is when you lie on your side, uh, place your head on a pillow <clears throat> as mom, and pull the baby in close to you and use your arm to support her little baby bottom, which is adorable, and uh, <laughs> use your other hand to bring your breast up to the baby's mouth. Right. So I think that one makes sense to me. Yeah, all of it made sense to me. Well, you're... I practiced that. <laughs> you had a loaf of bread. I did not. So again, if this isn't working at first, mm-hmm. don't worry. Don't be discouraged. Don't take it like your baby doesn't like you or is rejecting you. That's right. It's not the case. Try, try again. Try, try again. But also, again, if you reach your point, if you reach your limit, well, then come up with plan B or go with plan B. Yeah. Like, no judgment. Yeah, and here's a pretty amazing fact. Uh, If you have adopted your baby or if you used a surrogate or if you're female partners Mm -hmm. and new mothers, you can actually... Point is, if you didn't give birth to the baby, right? It's a long way of saying that. Yeah, you can actually induce uh, lactation with a lot of time and patience. Not always, but it is possible to breastfeed a baby that you did not bear, bear? which is astounding. Yes, yeah. Like there's a lot of techniques you can use. Hand massages help quite a bit. Yeah, you want to try um, hand expressing, uh-huh. uh, like eight to twelve times a day, like shadow puppets. Basically, <laughs> squeezing shadow puppets. Okay. Um, and you can also take something called, um, I love this word, galactagogues. Yeah, that totally sounds like a video game from the 80s. Right. Yeah. It's a type of chemical um, that, cr- that, sp- that spurs a woman's body to start creating breast milk, right? Yeah. And there's some that have been proven through scientific study, drugs like uh, metaclopramide. Right. Yeah. Then apparently there's herbs that anecdotally work wonders, including fenugreek. Yeah. They don't have quite as much um, evidence-based efficacy, but they may still work for you. It's worth trying. Yeah, and I think if you watch a lot of Gilmore Girls, that might help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe pop in Steel Magnolias. Sure. Any mother-centric plot line. Right. Actually, not Mommy Dearest. Yeah, I was about to say. Psycho Mommy Dearest. You might want to stay away from those. Um. Should we take another break? Oh, sure. All right, let's do it. So, Chuck... Uh, let's say you've decided to breastfeed. Yes. How long should you breastfeed for? Well, that's up to you as an individual, obviously. Uh, like we said, they uh, experts do recommend uh, that first four to six months is pretty key. Um, and that doesn't mean it has to be exclusive. You know, if you want to augment with formula, sure. you can do that. Uh, it's <clears throat> everyone's decision to make on their own. And then there was that lady. Remember that one lady made a lot of news because she was on the cover. I should have looked this up. She was on the cover of some magazine. Oh, Time or Newsweek? Yeah, with a much older. Like a four or five year old. I couldn't remember the age of of her son that was breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and got a lot of flack for that. 
But um, it was like a, an article on attachment parenting, I think, that Dr. Yeah, Sears stuff. I can't remember exactly. I should look that up. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was either Time or Newsweek. But anyway, to make the point, like some women have done that, where they breastfeed uh, like to their point where their kid is coming up and saying, hey, mom, can I would love some food sure. um, from your breast. If you're doing that, um, you want to make sure that your kid is eating plenty of other stuff as well. Sure. Because the point of breastfeeding or breast milk is that it can sustain a child exclusively for the first four to six months of his or her life. After that, you have to start supplementing either with formula or solid foods. And the rule of thumb that I saw um, when knowing whether or not the baby was ready to start trying solid foods is if he or she is coordinated enough to let you know when she's full, then you could try to start supplementing with solids. Right. But you you can breastfeed exclusively up to four to six months. After that, you just physically can't. There's not enough nutrients for you to produce to sustain your kid with breast milk alone after six months of age. Right. Uh, we've mentioned pumping a couple of times. We'll get more into that in part two. But um, if you live under a rock and you don't know what that is, that means you are just storing your uh, breast milk. You're using a, a device, a machine, I guess you want to call it, mm-hmm. to... Um, to store your breast milk for later. It means you like to have a drink once in a while, so lay <laughs> off. Well, we'll get to that, too. Uh, but as far as storage goes, here's the deal. It depends on how what kind of fridge, freezer you store the breast milk in and how often that is opened. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, like, if you have one of those, uh, if you have a... a a small old school fridge that has the little freezer section in the top of it. Uh-huh. That is uh, the shortest amount of time. That is only uh, two weeks of storage, even okay. if it's in the freezer. Okay. Um, if you have a separate freezer in that same, within that fridge, like the little freezer on the bottom or whatever, you can store it as long as three to six months. Uh, if you have a deep <laughs> freezer in the garage, Right, with a body in it. <laughs> keep your dead bodies. Like Bernie. <laughs> Where you keep your uh, delivered steak subscription service and, <laughs> and dead bodies. So you bought off of some guy's <laughs> pickup truck. Uh, you can actually store it in the deep, deep freeze for six to 12 months, even though uh, they say it's uh, past six months is not optimal. Um, so I think, like, you know, if you were the the zombie apocalypse happen and you have some 12 month old frozen solid breast milk right you can try and use that yeah that, we'll give our thumbs up on that one uh in room temperature apparently if it's a you know coolish room and it's not the heat of summer with no ac sure. uh we're talking about 6 hours which is longer than i thought yeah uh and then up to 5 days in a fridge although that's not optimal supposedly after about 3 days not bad and you just want to make sure in the fridge and anywhere, really, everything is super, super clean. Right. Uh, you got a bottle it's cap on there. Daryl. Yeah, everything is is really, really, especially early, um, early in BB's life. You want everything really, really, really clean. So the um, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that a lot of women pump is because they want to breastfeed, but they also either want to or need to get back to work. Yeah. Um, and this raises a big issue as far as breastfeeding goes, right? Yes. There's this um, really great new uh, New Republic review of a book called Lactivism, and the reviewer is named Catherine Joyce. And she points out that <clears throat> it's great that the World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics and all of these guys say women should breastfeed exclusively for at least the first six months. Yeah. Uh, but that that demand... It puts a burden on basically no one except for the mom. Yes. And then simultaneously, we're saying breastfeed for six months and get back to work because we've got an economy to to uh, to keep going. Yeah. Or you get, have rent to pay. Yeah. Or get back to work because you have your family needs it. Right. And so know? Angela Garbus points out, like, basically everything about breastfeeding is at odds with holding down full time work. That breastfeeding for the first few months can take eight hours a day. Of time easily, but hey, go work for eight hours on top of that. Right. And she says, I think quite reasonably, that if we're telling people, if we're telling mothers, hey, you should breastfeed ex- exclusively for six months, then they should also be given six months of paid maternity leave yeah. at a minimum. Yeah. And that that should just be um, 
should be enshrined in, in American law. Mm-hmm. It, it may sound radical to a lot of Americans. In fact, America is the only developed nation that doesn't guarantee paid time off for mothers. Yeah. There's not a day of paid time off that a mother gets guaranteed under federal law in the United States. It's the only developed nation that doesn't have that law. It's one of only two nations that doesn't have it. The other one is Papua New Guinea. In, in Papua New Guinea, 85% of the people who live there make their subsistence off of agriculture. Yeah. So they don't need to have a law like that. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It, it is. Uh, it, that's amazing, too, but in the opposite way. <laughs> Bad amazing. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these days, there are uh, a lot of jobs that are way more flexible as far as working from home or having lactation rooms. Agreed, true. Um, flexible scheduling. Like, uh, a lot of companies have made it much easier for you with a combination of pumping and dumping to mm-hmm. uh, to to still be able to do that. But... If you're not lucky enough to be in one of those scenarios, and if you've got a job that's like, nope, don't do that here, well, or, they or can't nope, now. you got to co- well, yeah, they have to do some. They have to allow some break time, and um, they have to provide some private place. But there's no specifications that yeah. it can't be some old shower stall sure. or something like that. And of course, that's just the law. Like that right. doesn't mean every company absolutely does this across the board. Right. Uh, there but are people that run afoul of the law. You're right, and it is getting better though. It is getting better. Among employers. But in the United States, there's the, the Family Leave Act of 1993, and it does guarantee 12 weeks of unpaid maternity leave. Yeah, but your family might not be able to afford that. So that equals, like, no maternity time. Yeah, and they've found across the board that um, that higher-income families uh, breastfeed longer. Right. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, here's some more stats for you if you want to talk about how long to breastfeed. Uh, most women stop within the first year. Uh, in 2013, the CDC said 77% of American women uh, breastfed from birth uh, at that rate since birth, and then after six months, that dropped to 16%. Right. But you make a big point. Well, you didn't make the point. You sourced these points. <laughs> I... I- I arrange them to make points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you make a point that it's, A, it depends on where you live in the world. Uh, in Africa, uh, on the continent, 87% of women uh, breastfed beyond 12 months. So it definitely depends on where you are. And you make the point, which is what I was getting to, is that the, uh, a lot of these stats kind of stink because they're old. Man, they stink. And outnumbered. Contradictory. Contradictory. So it's really hard to kind of get great percentages on this stuff. But everything that we looked at, does say that breastfeeding is on the rise. Sure. Uh, in what, the last probably 20 years. Yeah. And that it's or on more. the rise, especially among older, white, educated, wealthier women. For all the reasons we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's pull out a Bummersville for a second, Chuck. Okay. And, uh, talk about the f- food. Let's talk yes. Food. Yes. Like what a mom eats. Um, if the mom is is producing this milk, it would make sense in turn that uh, the milk will end up, because we said each recipe each day can be a little bit different. Right. And if you had um, General Sal's chicken yeah. the night before, sure. your breast milk might be a little spicier. Yeah, there's actually, there's a study back in the um, the 70s at the University of Manitoba that took breast milk, from, breast milk from women and had like a, a flavor, t- a professional tasting panel. Yeah. Did an episode on those. Yep. Um, sample them. And one of the uh, women had eaten spicy food the night before, and hers uh, was described as hot and peppery. Yeah. Pretty neat. It is pretty neat. Uh, and then this one woman, and she's not the only one, of course, but this lady named uh, Julia Manella of the Monell Chemical Census Center in Philadelphia said that she thinks, and a lot of people agree, that these early flavor profiles that the baby experiences develop uh, taste preferences for later in life. Right. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I see no reason why that should not be true. No, no, I don't know that it's proven, though, but it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So when you're breastfeeding, the rule of thumb that I've seen is that you want to eat about 500 more calories a day than you were before you were pregnant. Yeah. Right? 
Potato chips, candy bars? No, you want to avoid that kind of stuff, my oh, man. right. You actually um, want to avoid junk food. Instead, you want to eat the good stuff. That's right. The stuff that's good for you, the stuff that's whole, the stuff that's chock full of like good vitamins and is nutritious. AKA because, the food you should eat, period. Right. But all that stuff is going to pass right through you into your baby in the form of your milk. And so it's the stuff you eat is like a gift to your baby. It's like uh, passing that really great food along. That's right. Sometimes like uh, something that might give mom and baby problems if you eat like Brussels sprouts or cabbage or things that might make you a little gassy, mm-hmm. broccoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone uh, has different things that make them gassier. Whatever that is for you, that could cause some trouble. Um, what else? Anything anything like heavy in additives or dyes, yeah. like we were talking about, like non-whole foods, um, could produce a little bit more issues for you and baby, both. Onions, garlic, citrus, corn. Is, is no good or just All of these things trickier. can, they can produce problems, right? So if you've noticed that your baby, um, after eating, shortly after eating, is um, drawing her legs up to her her um, stomach and mm-hmm. screaming. Yeah, that's colic. It's probably because your baby has gas. You want to figure out what it is that you're eating that is giving your baby gas. Um, there's also other things that you can pass on to your baby that the baby doesn't want that can result in uh, an unhappy baby. Caffeine. Yeah. Um, that can pop up not just in coffee, but also things like Coke and chocolate and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's also worries that babies can actually develop food allergies, um, which is entirely possible. Um, that usually is sourced back to milk. You might not be lactose intolerant, but your baby might be. All right. All of this stuff you can figure out on your own very easily doing a very simple at-home experiment. Take whatever food you think is making your baby unhappy, um, and remove it from your diet for about a week. Yeah. See if that clears it up. If it doesn't, it wasn't that food, you can reintroduce that food. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> like with any food allergy, it's just called an elimination diet, and you get rid of the stuff mm-hmm. until you see a change. If it doesn't change, you move on to the next thing. Yeah. And um, mom's usually pretty in tune with baby. Sure. And um, ideally. And so... It, it's um, an elimination diet is is pretty. I don't want to say easy because it is time consuming, and you should keep right. records of things. Yeah. Um, but it's fairly intuitive. I think is what right. I was looking for. Yes. So um, apparently, they used to tell moms drink a bunch of beer because it'll aid in milk production. Did they really? I, that sounds so true. It's ridiculous. All right. So it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> so. They realize that, no, you should probably not do that. Not only does it not aid in milk production, but apparently the blood alcohol content uh, that you have, about the same percentage, is passed along to your breast milk. So yeah. the, the blood alcohol content of your breast milk is pretty much the same as your blood alcohol level at any given point. Yeah, which is super low. Unless you've been drinking, then it's super high, and then you're getting poor baby blitzed. Well, by breastfeeding drunk, <laughs> you would have to drink a lot. I don't know that that's the case, man. No, it's absolutely the case. Like your blood alcohol content, even if you're ripped, is still super, super low. Okay, as far as a percentage of alcohol in your blood. But we're talking about little, like what is a DUI people like people that, that weigh like eight pounds? Oh no, no, no! I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying <laughs> it's not uh, like you're giving your kid a shot of booze, right? If you've um. You know, it's, it's Took still, a shot of booze. And this is another one of those things that, like, if if you look at 10 different places, you're going to get 10 different opinions, even from doctors. Sure. I saw one doctor was like, you know what, this is one of those things that just makes it even harder for a woman is to tell her she shouldn't even have a glass of wine um, when she's breastfeeding. Right. Um, so really, like, I literally looked at, like, four different things, and they all said something different. What I did see was there's a direct correlation between the amount that you're drinking mm-hmm. and whether or not you're drinking it with food. Um, it, just like with the blood alcohol tenant, it uh, uh, levels, it has to do with the, the mom's weight um, and like the amount of fat. Oh, that makes sense. Like where alcohol is stored. Sure. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Drugs considers alcohol compatible with breastfeeding. 
So they said you don't have to abstain. <clears throat> but everything I read says, like, keep it in check and maybe don't, like, drink the wine while you're breastfeeding <laughs> or within a couple of hours. Right. Like, maybe have the glass of wine after you've breastfed and put baby down for the night. So the uh, the rule of thumb I saw was two hours uh, before the alcohol is out of your system. Yeah. Which means um, if you're breastfeeding every two hours, you got to either pump and dump, or hand express, or yeah, time it so that it's yeah. not it, yeah you're not passing it along. And this is after you know nine months of probably abstaining from alcohol too. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm. I mean, I I don't blame anybody for being like I'm having a glass of wine. Yeah. You know, um, people always say a glass of wine. Why didn't some people say I'm having a scotch? Right. <laughs> I'm having a fifth of scotch. <laughs> no, don't have a fifth. Do you have an insouciant attitude towards smoking and breastfeeding? Who, me? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think you shouldn't smoke, period. I think that's true. So I guess you could say that in keeping with that, I would say you shouldn't smoke and breastfeed. Yeah, but apparently um, the nicotine uh, is not good for milk, milk production. It... it <clears throat> diminishes milk production. Yes, yeah, so just on a practical level, you're right. not doing yourself any favors. It reduces the amount of vitamin C present in your in your breast milk. Um, it can increase nausea yeah. in the baby. That alone, that's sad. Yes. Um, and plus, not to mention, if you're actually smoking around the baby, right? Come on. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, that woman in Arizona. Do you remember her? No. The mom who got. It just hugely, massively in trouble because she took her baby to the hospital. It was like, something's wrong with, with my baby. And the doctors tested it and were like, that's weird. Your baby uh, has a lot of cocaine in his system right now. Oh, yeah. I remember Any that. idea why? Have you been doing cocaine? Well, yeah, I did, but I... What's that got to do with my baby? Right. Yeah. Are you breastfeeding? And she was like, yes, I am. Yeah. Well, you pass the cocaine on to your baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the old days of walking around baby on breast with a cigarette in one hand and a scotch in the other. And a bump of coke in your nose. <laughs> Those days are long gone. Sure. We the know, 70s we, are over. We know better at this point. I was not breastfed, by the way. I'm pretty sure I was. Actually, now that you say that, I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. I feel securely attached. Yeah, my mom actually told me this just like in the last six or eight years even. Oh, yeah. And I was like, huh. Good did you know, I guess. Did, how did she tell you? I don't remember. I think like, it was on my birthday card. <laughs> <laughs> Your birthday card. <laughs> Happy birthday. And by the way, no, I can't remember. It just came up and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And she said, yeah, you know, she, I was her third kid, mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of help from mm-hmm. my dad. Mm-hmm. So she was managing a three-year-old and a six-year-old and I think had a rough time breastfeeding my brother Um because my brother said she just wasn't organized enough. Oh, is that right? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. You uh, know, Scott, though, that would be right, a joke. Yeah. Scott would have been like, <laughs> You're doing Here, it all wrong. Let me hand express this for later. I'll feed myself. Um, I think had a rough time breastfeeding Scott, and then um, I think just sort of decided, like, yeah, I got too much going on. Going with the formula yeah. for, for BB Chuck. Nice. And it was also at a time in the early 70s, like starting in the 50s through the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s even to a certain degree there was a bigger move toward formula feeding oh yeah uh, and away from breastfeeding uh because the notion was like this science has finally figured it out you don't need to breastfeed right because we have this wonderful new thing called formula right which the name formula just cracks me up that that's what it's called right that they didn't think of some name other I know. Than. It's like the most generic <laughs> like, clinical term they could have come up like, with. Like, hey, well. we came up with this formula that mimics breast milk. What should we call it? Formula. The, originally, it was <laughs> called Formula X, but they thought that was too sinister. Well, that makes more sense, even, <laughs> yeah, than just it formula. It's like, hey, we got this new recipe for chicken. What do you call it? Recipe. It's <laughs> 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 a good point. Anyway. But that whole, that whole um, push, starting in... Well, as previous to the 50s, we'll talk more about it in part two. But there was a lot of pushback that came out as a result of this um, trend toward formulas, right? Yes. And there are actually groups that are called lactivist groups yeah. that um, started beginning with uh, the La Leche League, um, which was established in the 50s in the States among a group of Catholic moms yeah. 
who decided that it was their, their their biblical right, their biblical heritage to breastfeed their babies, and that like that was what God wanted them to do. And the La Leche League uh, is still around today. It's one of the most prominent activist groups around. Yeah, um, they're very active in in you know public awareness, teaching breastfeeding classes, all that stuff. But they grew out of this group of Catholic moms in the fifties who actually took their name from a um, a shrine down in Jacksonville. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the Jacksonville, name, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah, the huh. name of the shrine is called Nuestra Señora de la Leche y Buen Parto, which means Our Lady of Happy Delivery and Plentiful Milk. Yeah, and they published uh, in 1958 a very famous pamphlet called The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding mm-hmm. uh, that eventually became a book, and it was very, very popular. Uh, it's now in six languages in its eighth edition. Uh, and also in the 70s, we've talked about Hannah Rosen before. Uh, she said there were other uh, groups that um, were a little little more hip yeah. than the, the LLL right. that came out. And she said notably one in Boston. Do you know the name of this one? Uh, I don't know that they had a name. They oh, okay. they had they created a um, just sort of a movement. Yeah, they wrote a book called "Our Bodies Ourselves." Right, and that was that was basically the f- the foundation for what she calls the second wave of activism. Yeah, and she said they were just uh, she said quote were more groovy types than the uh, LLL moms, uh, slouchy jeans, clogs, bandanas, uh, holding back their waist length hair. <laughs> uh, she said, but the two movements grew out of the common frustration and anger of this condescending medical establishment, this paternalistic, uh, non-informative, judgmental group of men, basically. Who are just like, just do what we tell you. Yeah. You don't need to ask questions. Just trust us. Pretty much. And these groups came out and said, you know what? Um, these are our bodies yeah. and our decisions. Um, I don't think beer aids in milk production. <laughs> they So they took their... Um, their, well, I guess their their womanly art of breastfeeding, yeah, and they 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 kept it. They took it back. They yanked it back. Yes, and so the the lactivism has always had this kind of tinge of <clears throat> moral authority because of the religious roots of the La Leche League. Yeah, and radicalism because it was um, both waves came counter to the the medical establishment at the time. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, a lot of current understanding of breastfeeding is not necessarily based on accurate scientific information, right? Yes. We already talked about how the the benefits of breastfeeding are fairly relative, but there's also a lot of like misinformation or misunderstanding about how like what breastfeeding and breast milk can do for a developing baby. Yeah, there's a lot of correlative effects that it's tough to put the hard science behind. Right. Because, um, as Hannah Rosen, uh, says, it's tough to do a really ideal study because what you would have to do for it to stand up to scientific uh, rigor right. would be to divide up two groups of mothers and say, you breastfeed, you don't. Right. And then measure the outcomes for years. And you can't do that. You can't tell a woman not to breastfeed <laughs> right. for the sake of this study. So what they end up doing is they just look at uh, observational studies where they look at differences in the two populations over the years. And <clears throat> this is where you get that that skewed perception or where you can get a skewed perception because they may be looking at U.S. mothers of a certain uh, social strata. Well, maybe. yeah, there's all sorts of confounding factors that are variables, right, that – that, you know, women who tend to breastfeed these days, again, tend to be um, from a, a wealthier family. So they make it, maybe can stay at home more or yeah. they have more money available for preventative health care measures. There's a lot of other things that could be accounting for these better health outcomes that studies have found but have been able to say, yes, this is directly because these babies were breastfed. The problem is, is that... These studies that say, hey, these breastfed babies had these amazing um, increases in IQ, yeah. that's what gets reported through lazy scientific reporting. It hits the popular uh, media, and then all of a sudden that's gospel fact. And if you don't breastfeed your baby, you're a horrible mom. Yeah. this uh, In 2007, the World Health, uh, Health Organization uh, did a survey 
of all this literature, and they looked at these the the big five claims about benefits of breastfeeding: uh, lowers cholesterol, lowers blood pressure, mm-hmm. lowers risk of obesity, lowers risk of type two diabetes, and increases cognitive ability. And they didn't find a lot of hard scientific support for one through four. No, but they did see, like you said, that um, there was a correlation between an increased IQ. Right, but they found it was a relatively small increase. Right. But if you're one of those, like, dog-eat-dog, enroll my kid in preschool before she's even born type of parents, you'd be like, I'll take those extra five IQ points, sure. Yeah. Um, so this is part one. Uh, but before we go, Chuck, do you have anything else? Uh, you know what, for part one, just since we talked about breastfeeding at work and stuff, um, I feel like we would be remiss if we dot, did not mention um, Donald Trump. Remember that? Th- no, that what? Scene? what? In two, about five years ago, he was uh, in a deposition, and one of the um, opposing attorneys, Elizabeth Beck, went to, um, went to pump okay. breast milk All in right. this deposition. And he got up and said... Uh, you're disgusting. Uh, you're disgusting. And he got out of the room. What? And this was a very, I can't believe you don't remember this. It was a huge deal or a huge deal. <sighs> and, um, what? She says, um, Elizabeth Beck from her side said, you know, he called me, you know, there's nothing disgusting about this. You can't say that to a woman who's breastfeeding or pumping or doing whatever, uh-huh. uh, no matter where it is. And then, um, Trump and his, uh, general counsel, um, what was his name? Alan Garten. They contend, like, sure, he said she was disgusting. He said, but, like, they didn't deny that. He said, but that it was, this is not about breastfeeding. They said that she was in a deposition, right in the middle of a deposition, this is a quote, uh, attempting to breastfeed, to pump in the middle of a deposition uh, with five lawyers and was not excusing herself. And uh, he claimed that Beck orchestrated the stunt because she ran out of questions, didn't know what to do, and so she just, like, pulled this breast-pumping move. Uh, the old breast pump maneuver. <laughs> um, so, you know, those are the two sides of the story. I'm not going to comment one way or the other, huh. um, other than saying uh, you should never use the word disgusting uh, when a woman is yeah. bre- breastfeeding or pumping or anything. Yeah. And he um, said, oh, I'm going to be president one day. And she's like, no, you're not. Like, I don't care what the circumstance. Don't say that. Even if you if you think it's inappropriate. I'm not even going to say whether, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on that. But if if you think it's inappropriate, then you say, hey, maybe I think this is inappropriate. Don't say you're disgusting. Yeah. Not not right. I agree. That's as political as I'm going to get on this one. And that is Feeding Your Baby Part 1. Man, this one is robust. Yeah, that's just Part 1. Uh, so be sure to join us for Part 2. Do we have a listener mail, or are these things so thoroughly conjoined that they can't be separated by listener mail? Yeah, let's uh, let's skip listener mail on this one. Okay, good cool. idea. All right, well, join us for uh, How Feeding Babies Works Part 2, coming at you soon. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 